You ever sit around Claude and talk to him about fishing? And that fish grows every time. He allows for the, for the growth of time for the fish as he tells the story. So I love to hear him tell his fish stories. But we just read a story here about the disciples going fishing. This is after, of course, the, uh, the, the uh, crucifixion of, of the Lord. And they were going fishing and, and they were all together in the boat. And they, they, they fished all night long and caught nothing. And then the, the Lord came, appeared to them and, and told them to cast the net on the right side of the ship. I like that term, by the way, the right side of the ship. There is a right way to do the Lord's work and a wrong way. And he encouraged them to cast their net on the right side of the ship. And, do, and, and, and that's just, of course, a metaphor, but uh, I like the way that's phrased. But now, if you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 5 in your Bibles. Luke chapter 5. And we're actually going to draw our... Uh, I'm going to draw the message tonight from Luke chapter 5. And let's begin at verse number 1 in Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, And prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught of the fishes, which they had taken. This is a very interesting fish story. I could tell you some stories tonight about my fishing adventures. Uh, Probably most of the stories I would tell you, I'm ashamed to say, but probably most of them would be laced with exaggerations and and would would be greatly embellished to make my prowess as a fisherman sound much more impressive. But this story that we just read is probably the most impressive fish story you'll ever hear. And it's not embellished. It's factual. Imagine for a moment, if you would, what it would have been like to have been one of the fishermen in that boat. Just imagine for a moment. You're on the shore. You'd been fishing all night. And you caught nothing. And you're on the shore in the morning with Peter and, and, and you're washing the nets to to, to, to get all of the seawater out of the nets and then you're going to hang them up to dry and you're going to go home and you're going to get some rest because you're going to have to go fishing again later. And all of a sudden, a mob begins to, to form along the coast, a crowd of people. And focus, that crowd is focused around one man. And his name is Jesus. And he's a teacher of the people. And they're pressing against him to, uh, to, 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 be, to be healed of him or, or to hear his words And Jesus comes to Peter, the captain of the boat, and says, I need your boat. I need to get in your boat, and I need you to take me out just a little ways, out into the water where I can speak to this crowd. They're they're about to shove me into the water. So 
Peter says, all right, we'll, we'll do that. And he tells his guy, his, his, his deck hands, come on, let's get in the boat. You guys help me get the boat out there and help me keep it in position for, 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 the, for the rabbi here. So they go out a little ways into the water. And, there's, and, and Jesus sits down in the boat, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 5, and begins to teach to the people. And after he had finished speaking, he turned to Peter and said, let's go on fishing. Let's go out there and do some fishing. And Peter, of course, looked at the Lord and said, well, you know, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. We're professional fishermen. We know what we're doing. Now, I know, I'm sure you, you teach a good message, preacher, but you don't really know anything about fishing now, do you? But nonetheless, they decided to go out there and to fish. Now, can you imagine being one of those deckhands and you're saying, man, I could be home right now enjoying some of my wife's pancakes. And instead of that, I'm going back out here to throw the net in the water again. And I'm not going to catch anything. We didn't catch anything last night. Then I'm going to have to go back to the shore and wash that stupid net all over again. And I'm going to waste another hour of my time. Can you imagine the story that man would have to tell his grandchildren? Can you imagine when he tells his grandson, and that man Jesus told us to throw our net right there, and we did. And when we did, we caught so many fish, the net was breaking. In fact, we had to call our partners over in the other boat to help us. And both boats almost sank from the fish we caught. What a story. What a big fish story but a true story. This is not a story about the one that got away. Rather, it's about the biggest catch of fish these fishermen ever saw. Now, from this story tonight, I find some encouraging truths that help me as a believer, and I want to share those. And I believe this is what we need today, encouragement. We need encouragement in in this world that we live in today. If you're raising children today, you need encouragement because it almost seems like a losing battle sometimes, doesn't it? In our marriages, sometimes it seems like almost a losing fight against all the problems. Some of us today, we're weighed down with sorrow and grief, and we need encouragement tonight. And when I look at this story, I see some things in here that give me great encouragement as a believer, and I'd like to share those with you. So for a few moments tonight, allow me to share a few thoughts with you. From this story, I find, number one, that God uses common men. God uses common men. We read just a moment ago, again, in in verse 1, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Genesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake. But the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. These were common men. These were not lawyers. These were not great teachers. They were not great businessmen. They were not priests. They were not rulers. They were fishermen. They were men of simple skills and simple training. Can I say tonight as we sit here that everyone in this room can be used of God? Every man, every woman, every teenager can be used of God tonight. We do not need to have a master's degree or a Ph.D. for God to use us. 
We do not need to have a charismatic personality. We do not need to be a person of great authority. We do not need to be a person that has a great deal of money. Now, if you do have a great deal of money, Pastor and John Bunn would like to meet with you right after the service. And we can help you manage and plan that money. But you don't need a great deal of money tonight to be used of God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Now certainly God can use men tonight of credentials. God can use men with money. God can use learned men. And Paul does, not, does, not, does say that not many are called. He did not say that none are called. But it is very rare that men of such social stature will come to the place where they can be used of God. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we read from verses 6 through 10, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Can I interject a thought there, though? There are some things that will be carried out of this world that we can keep, and that's our loved ones, amen? It's our children. Let's teach them about God. Let's teach them the Word of God, the truth of God. And let's, let's see their souls saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Those will, we will carry out of this world with us into the next. I'll go on. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's very rare that men of of great social stature, financially or, or, or intellectually, it's very rare that those type of men will submit themselves unto the Lord and, and be used of God. Again, Jesus spoke of the difficulties faced by men who place their values in, in these things of education or power or wealth. In Matthew chapter 19, we read from verses 23 and 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now tonight, if you are a man or a woman with degrees or or with wealth or, or authority, I am not saying that you cannot be used of God. But there is, a, there is a danger here. We see this passage we just read. This is a, a proverbial expression. the Passing the camel through the eye of the needle. This is, a, this is an expression that the Lord uses to, to, to illustrate the extreme difficulty people in these positions in life have to let go of those things that they desire so greatly. It defines a difficulty altogether unconquerable by the power of man. Often, more responsibilities are expected from these than from others. More sins do easily beset them, which they can hardly avoid. 
They face great temptations, and such as are very insinuating. It is, it is hard not to be taken by the charms of a smiling world. Very difficult indeed. Too often, these, under the allurements of worldliness and prosperity, choose to forsake the work of the Lord and pursue the pleasures of life. Nothing less than the grace of Almighty God will enable these men to get past these difficulties. The disciples, <clears throat> excuse me, the disciples chosen by Christ were common men. They were men of common skills, with no formal education and no wealth. In fact, we find in the scriptures that the disciples did not even have the money to pay their taxes. This is tax weekend, isn't it? Yeah, the most dreaded weekend of the year. Tax weekend. These, these men were, were so, such common men, they, they didn't even have the money to pay their tribute. In Matthew chapter 17, we read, And when they were come to Capernaum, uh, they, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And, and when he was come into the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, <clears throat> What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? And Peter said, saith unto him, Of strangers. Jesus saith unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea and cast an hook, and take up the fish that cometh, uh, first cometh up. And when thou hast opened his mouth, thou shalt find a piece of money. Uh, that take and give unto them for me and thee. They didn't even have tax money. They, Jesus sent Peter to the, to the sea, and Peter got his tax money out of the mouth of a fish. A lot of lessons in there. A lot of things could be said, but for time's sake... Let it suffice to say that these men were common men. They were not men of wealth. They were not men of great education. They also did not dwell in fine accommodations. One came to Jesus and said, uh, well, actually in Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, And a certain scribe came and saith unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus saith unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. If Jesus were here today living in the conditions he lived in in his day, he'd be considered a homeless bum by society. These were common men. Yet none have had more impact on their world than these men did. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 6 we read, And when they found them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. These common men, these men that society would have looked down upon, turned their world upside down for the Lord Jesus Christ. Without great intellect, without great resources, without great power and authority, they changed their world for Christ. Yes, tonight, let me say, God uses common men. I'm a common man. Praise God, He uses common men. He wants to use you and me to impact our community. The question is not, will God use us? The question is, will we yield ourselves unto His service tonight? That's the question. God uses common men. Can He use you tonight? Will you let Him use you tonight? But not only do I see from this fish story that God uses common men, but next 
I see that God requires committed men. God requires committed men. Again, in Luke chapter 5, in verse number 4, we read, Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a draught. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now first, we must establish what is meant by being committed to Christ. The definition of commit is to give in trust, to put into the hands or power of another, to entrust with. Now, follow me for just a moment. Peter and his crew, as I told the story a few moments ago, had been out all night long fishing. They caught nothing. Obviously, they were experienced fishermen. Certainly, they were familiar with the waters of this, of this area. They would have known the feeding patterns of the indigenous fish found in this area. Yet, despite all of this, we see that they immediately obeyed the Lord and put out into the deep. They yielded to Him and to His authority. They placed their will in His hands. Now this speaks to me of a couple of admirable and desirable traits that we see in Peter. Let me share those with you quickly. First, I see that Peter had respect for spiritual things. He had respect for spiritual things. I see that in verse 5, where he, in answering, he called the Lord Master. This would lead me to believe that Peter was reared to respect the things of God. This is so important to grasp tonight, that we respect spiritual things. May I state that the greatest thing you will ever do for your children is to teach them to respect spiritual things. pastor spoke about this recently. We ought to teach our children to respect some spiritual things. What things should we teach them to respect? Well, maybe like the Word of God. The Word of God. Psalm 119 and verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Listen, I believe in education. I think education is important. But I would rather have my children illiterate, uh, not illiterate, but I'd rather have them less educated, but know the Word of God and respect the Word of God than to have a Ph.D. after their name. I don't want them to be illiterates. I want them to take care of me when I get old. They can't be illiterates. You know, we place too much emphasis on education, don't we? And education is a good thing. But if we have more concern about how, who, by, by how intellectual our children are than we are whether or not their heart respects God's word, then we failed. I mean, the public school can, can spit out some pretty intelligent kids, but they, 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 they just detest the Lord, don't they? The word of God. We need to teach our children. There is nothing on earth more important than the word of God. In, John, in Job chapter 23, verse 11 and 12, we, we read, My foot hath held his steps, his way have I kept and not declined. Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And Job knew the importance of the Word of God. And there is nothing more important for us to teach our children than to respect the Word of God. How prominent, let me ask, how prominent is the Bible 
in our homes tonight? How prominent is the Bible in our homes? How important is the scriptures in our hearts tonight? Psalm 1 verse 2 states, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Teach your children or teach your grandchildren to respect the word of God, and do this by starting with yourself. We need to learn to respect the Word of God. Maybe the reason our children don't respect the Word of God is because we, their parents, don't show enough respect to the Word of God. You know, in some people's lives, the only time the Bible is ever open is when they come to church. Monday through Saturday, the Bible sits closed on a a coffee table or on a shelf, and and the Word of God is never, never opened all week long. Meditate in this word day and night. If we want our children, you know, someone once told me this, never expect those that follow you to do any more than you do. How are we handling the word of God tonight? Do we respect God's word as we should? Begin with ourselves. Then, not only should we teach them to respect the word of God, but secondly, we should teach them to respect the house of God. To respect the house of God. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Teach your children, teach your family to respect the house of God. There's an old saying, it goes like this. Familiarity breeds contempt. The benefit of having a multi-use facility such as ours is that we can do anything we want to do in this building. We can have a fine meal. We can have a basketball game. We can have a volleyball game. We can do anything we want to do here in this building. We can put on a a, a Christmas drama. That's the benefit of having a building like we have. But the problem with having a multi-use facility such as ours is that we tend to forget that this is a house of worship. And not a social parlor. This is not a basketball gymnasium. It's not a volleyball stadium. It's not a fine arts center. It's not a restaurant. It's the house of God. And we tend to forget that. And if we're not careful, our children will develop a familiarity with spiritual things. And will forget about the sanctity of them. Can I show you a story in the Bible that illustrates this exactly? Let's turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6 together, please. Let's all go to 2 Samuel chapter 6. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, let me lay the groundwork here. For some time, the ark of the covenant had been placed into the into the homes of of uh, one of one of the the Jewish um, Members, and in that home lived a young man named Uzzah. And let's read the story about Uzzah here, real quickly. Second uh, Samuel chapter six and verse one. Again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, thirty thousand, and David arose and went with all the people that were with him from Baal of Judah to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart 
and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and on timbrels and on cornets and on cymbals. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Now, Uzzah, as a young boy, the ark was in his house. shouldn't have been there, but that's where it was. And Uzzah became pretty familiar with the ark. He saw it every day. He probably walked right near it every day and looked at it, imagined what it would be like to carry the ark. And now, in this story, there are many, many errors made by David. But that's not the point tonight, so I won't, I won't take the time to go over all those things. But what happened? <clears throat> Who was allowed to touch the ark? No one could touch the ark. <laughs> Nobody. Once it, was, once it was built and it was dedicated, no man could touch it. You had to slide poles through the sockets. And you had to carry it by, by, by poles. And only the Levites were supposed to carry the ark. No man would, could touch the ark. This was, this was a very sacred picture And no man could touch it. But Uzzah became familiar with the ark. And as the ark was shaking on the cart, he probably thought he was doing a really good thing, but he did something he shouldn't have done. He touched the ark. And when he touched the ark, God killed him. Our children, if we're not careful, will become so familiar with spiritual things that they will lose all respect for the things of God, including the house of God. We must teach them to respect the house of God. We must teach them to respect the word of God. And then let me say thirdly, we need to learn to respect the man of God. The man of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Now, I spoke on this Wednesday evening, so I won't spend a great deal of time on it tonight. But let me just admonish you to respect God's man and teach your children to do the same. Follow the example of David in this matter. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, I don't have the time, time to turn to it and read it. But David, uh, when, when he was challenged by his men to, to attack Saul while Saul was in a vulnerable uh, position, David said, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed. And we need tonight to learn to respect the man of God. Let me tell you something. If the pastor of a church needs to be judged, God will judge him, not the people. You get behind your pastor and you respect and love your pastor. And then we need to learn to respect the people of God. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10, we read, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. We must respect spiritual things. But not only did I, did I notice from this story that Peter had a respect for spiritual things. Secondly, let me say this. I, I noticed that Peter responded with submission. He responded with submission. Again, in Luke chapter 5 and verse 5, 
we read, Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. We don't see any arguments here from Peter. He did not debate with the Lord. He simply said, At thy word, Lord, I will let down the net. In other words, he said, As you wish, Lord Jesus. Peter respected the Lord. Therefore, he trusted his word. Psalm 119 tells us, Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law, yea, and I shall observe it with my whole heart. Make me to go in the path of thy commandments, for therein do I delight. Did you see the action in these powerful words? Teach me, give me understanding, make me to go. These are the prayers of a man that is committed to following his God. Not only does God use uh, or, or does God use common men, but God requires committed men. Can I say that we at Berean Baptist Church will never accomplish anything for God until we are become committed to the work of the Lord? We will never come committed to the work of the Lord until we re- learn to respect the things of God. We live in a nation today where everything is under the microscope, including God and including His Word. Listen, tonight we need to make sure that we're not, we're, 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 our attitude uh, is not that of so many of our, of our Baptist brethren today. So many of our Baptist brethren today deny the sovereignty of God and empower the will of man. Their commitment is not to the effectual will of a sovereign God, it is to the ineffectual will of depraved men. And there are, there are people around this country who would rather follow a man than the Lord. And I've said it many times, in America today, we've learned to have too much praise for the man of God and not enough praise for the God of man. And we've got to get that straight. Because you know who's paying for it? Or who's going to pay for it? Your children and your grandchildren are going to pay for it. Because in not too many more years, if, if, if we don't get this kind of stuff straight, before too many more years, there won't be churches like this for our grandchildren. God needs some committed men. Peter responded with immediate and complete submission to the will of Christ. And if you and I will succeed in reaching this community with the gospel, then we too must be committed. We must respect spiritual things. And we must respond in submission to the Almighty God. So tonight, from this fish story, I see that God uses common men and that God requires committed men. And then thirdly, I see that God blesses compliant men. God blesses compliant men. We read earlier in Luke chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes in their net break. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. You know, if they hadn't hadn't complied with what the Lord told them to do, they would have gone home with empty nets again. The reason they caught the fish is because they obeyed the Lord. God blessed them for their obedience. Now let us wrap up these thoughts tonight. Don't get too excited, I'm not done. I've got about two pages of wrap-up here. God uses common men. He does not need men of great stature or wealth. He can use a donkey if he wants to. He can use stones 
if he desires. In Luke chapter 19, we read, And when he was come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. God can use stones if he wants to. He doesn't need us, but he he wants to use us. God can use any means he desires to carry out his work, but he has chosen to use us. And what he requires of us is compliance or obedience to his word. Samuel reminds us in 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22, and Samuel said, hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. But far too often, what we offer God is rebellion instead of compliance. And Samuel reminded us that rebellion is wretched and abominable injustice to a holy and righteous God. In verse 23 of 1 Samuel 15, he he states, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee. From being king. But dear friends, we must remember that God is as prepared to bless our obedience as He is to curse our rebellion. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 26 through 28, we read, Behold, I set, you, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. A blessing, if ye obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day. And a curse, if ye will not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside out of the way which I command you this day to go after other gods which ye have not known. Because these men obeyed the Lord, he blessed them with a catch of fishes that was so great it nearly sank two boats. Now let us bring this home tonight. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, the Bible states, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be enough room to receive it. Too often we go without the blessings that God would give us. But why? Well, because of things like doubt, greed, deceit, selfishness, and just plain old rebellion against God. James tells us in his book, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and ye have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Are we in the will of God tonight? Or are we living a life in rebellion against God and His principles? Do we enjoy the blessings that come from compliance to God and His Word? Or do we suffer, suffer loss and want at every turn in our lives? Is God and His will in the center of our lives? Or have We relegated God to one corner of our life, only allowing Him to come out when it is convenient or profitable for us. A big fish story. 
This is not a story of the one that got away. This was a story of victory. It is a story of hope for all who read it. Of hope. Because God uses common men. Men just like me. And men just like you. Of hope because God requires committed men. Men that put God and his work first and foremost in their lives. Of hope because God blesses compliant men. Men that obey God even in the face of fear and doubt. Trusting only in his righteousness and in his power. But what about us tonight? Now before the pastor comes and and closes our service, I'm going to ask you a question. And that is, who will you serve tonight? Who will you serve? Joshua, in Joshua chapter 24, states, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Who are you going to serve tonight? Who will you serve? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Words cannot describe the magnitude of your great love for us. And Lord, I just pray that you would have used this message tonight to speak to someone. Lord, you spoke to me in this message as I prepared it. I was so, so elated that I, to know that you would use a man like, a common man like me. And, and, and Father, I know that you can give me the, the strength to commit to you. And I know that you'll bless my obedience. And in these things, I find hope and I find encouragement in my life. Father, I love Berean. You love this church, and I love you, and I love this church. And I desire to see this church succeed. Not, not so that we can have a name for ourselves, that we can go around and tell everyone how great we are at what we do. But I desire that this church would be successful to your glory and to your honor, so that people would say in Ronard Park there's a place where God is preached and where his word is preached and where he's loved and where he's honored. And Lord, we love you and thank you for all the things you do for us. And now we ask that tonight you would convict our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would reach down into our hearts and light a fire that nothing can extinguish and that we would go forth from this place tonight and we would desire to serve you And we ask you to do these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.